Good morning, City Chapel. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dale Callahan. Um, my day job, I'm a, I've been a mailman for 25 years up in uh, Grand Prairie. I don't know if you guys know what the, the mailman motto is. Through rain, sleet, snow, I'll fulfill my attended duties. Well, as the messenger of the Lord today, I sort of feel like that as well, that uh, my wife and I have traveled six hours over the last couple of days through uh, freezing rain and sleet and black ice and uh, flurries. And so you, you have to know I like you guys, right? I, 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 I love City Chapel. I love to be here with you. And it's a privilege to be able to, to preach God's word. I'm glad that someone opened the doors for me to preach uh, years ago. Our first pastor uh, was very open to uh, bringing young men into the pulpit, and I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, it's a battle. Uh, I will confess, if you don't pray for your pastor and your preachers, please do. It's a spiritual battle that goes on. So it's been a, a gift that God gives, I think. Maybe I think it's a gift. You guys may not. But I, I thank God he gives the gift. And uh, uh, But just pray. Because uh, my worst weeks are the weeks I, I preach. I uh, go through enormous uh, emotional downs and doubts. And the Lord is faithful. He is a faithful God. We are in First Peter. Uh, we're coming near the end of the chapter. We'll be looking at verses 20 to 25 today. And we'll, we'll read that in little chunks. Uh, but uh, at first, I just want to ask you, raise your hand here today if you've ever heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Have you heard that? Okay, so we know what that means is don't, don't judge a person by just the things you see on the outside because there's things going on inside. So now I'm going to ask young people, older people alike, who here has judged a book by its cover? Yeah, right? Think about it. We do it all the time. You have a neighbor, you have a coworker, you have maybe an acquaintance that you know, and tell me, we think it, and sometimes we even say it to each other, but you say, wouldn't, wouldn't Bill make such a good Christian? Right? Or wouldn't Betty be such a good Christian? Because right? they're, they're hardworking, they're, they're disciplined, they've got these servant hearts. But the question that if we ever ask ourselves that, or we ask someone, or say that to someone else, is we, should, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why do we say that? Is it because this person loves Jesus so deeply? Well, you, you'd say, well, no. They, they don't even know Jesus. They don't love him at all. But... But isn't that the first mark of being a really good Christian? Isn't that the foundation? Isn't that the ultimate sign of what a true believer is? And then you know what happens? God, he gets the attention of all of us book cover judging people. And he grabs a hold of some foul-mouthed rapper named Kanye West. Right? This guy whose life and his marriage and his extended family looks something out of some warped and twisted soap opera. And all of a sudden we hear this guy saying, I love Jesus. And he's saying it publicly and boldly. And it should cause people to say, well, what happened? What happened? Now, you know what? Some people say, hey, I think it's a publicity stunt. I don't. I don't think he has anything to gain from it. Some people say, well, we need to wait and really see if the fruit, if it's going to show it's real. And I'd say, I agree. I do. But I think that we need to be praying for Kanye. We need to be praying that God will found him in that. He's going to be surrounded by darkness. And we need to pray instead of just saying, I don't think it's real. We need to be praying that, you know, God works in situations like that. Lord, please use this man. What happened? Well, you know what? James Corden from uh, Carpool Karaoke. Anyone ever watch that? You're at church. You have to, you have to be truthful here. <clears throat> he's, he's interviewing Conway and Kanye, and he, he asks, what happened? Kanye says, well, you, you sleep, right? And he goes, yeah. 
And he goes, and so there's times then that you're awake, right? And he says, yeah. And he says, well, you know what? The Bible teaches that in sin, because humanity has sinned, they're in this state of sleep. It's a death. And he says, but God wakes people up. And he says, he woke me up. Praise be to God. He woke me up. So should this shock us should, as Christians? Should this be something like, he saved this guy? He saved this rapper? Like, should it shock us? Jesus says, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. We sing in our worship, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The Apostle Paul says, I used to blaspheme the Lord. And I was a persecutor of the church. I had Christians killed. I had them jailed. I hunted them down like animals. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy. <laughs> All saying. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the chief. I'm the head sinner. Who would have thought? Can you imagine two days before the Lord Jesus got a hold of Paul? I'm sure Paul wasn't high on the list of who's going to become a Christian next. Right? Oh. Who would have thought Kanye? Well, Probably not a whole lot of people. Lord likes surprising us, doesn't he? So Peter's writing this letter as an older man. He's writing it as one who's lived, he's learned, and he literally walked with Jesus. And Peter is convinced that no one, including himself, was going to learn or is going to earn God's favor by his own religious efforts. And you know what? Sometimes we laugh at Peter's blunders. I don't know if you have, but I've I've, I've, I've preached it, right? We say it, and we, we say it in these laughy tones where Peter blows it, and then, ha, ha. But you know what? Sin is cosmic treason. When, when Peter is stumbling and bumbling, and I know we want to just to make light to give it grace, but he's sinning against the Most High God. Peter didn't need to look at the Apostle Paul when he got saved to think, Woo! Jesus saves the wicked. He saves people who can't be saved. Peter knew his own heart. Peter knew how hard he stumbled and fell in his own life, even as a religious man, even as a man who walked with Jesus. Think of this. Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? First he asked, who do, who do other people say I am? But he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter nails it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. And then Jesus goes on. After this, and he starts sharing the gospel. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again on the third day. And then Peter goes from nailing it to all of a sudden, he rejects the gospel. But in a very nice way, arm around, Lord, this will never happen to you. Lord, may this never be. Get behind me, Satan. Peter rejected the gospel. And then we see, as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, we see Peter denying his Lord with curses. He denies him. But then we see the Lord later in his mercy, restoring Peter three times. Gracious. The Gospel of Mark has the angel at the tomb saying, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. <laughs> Could you imagine being Peter and hearing those words? And you too, Peter. You too. Like, it's not over for you. And so then we think, yeah, but that was before Jesus' resurrection. Anyone read through the book of Acts? 
Acts chapter 10, we've got a veil or a sheet coming down. It's got animals that according to the law, some were clean, some were unclean. And God says, arise, Peter. Peter's having a vision. Arise, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter says two words that should never go together. No, Lord. It just doesn't make sense, right? No, Lord. May it never be. I had nothing unclean has ever come out of my mouth. And God's teaching a deeper lesson through this. He's teaching the gospel isn't just for the Jews. The gospel is for Jew and Gentile. Peter, this is the glory of the gospel. No, Lord. But Peter repented. Praise God, Peter repented. Then we think, well, he learned his lesson obviously in that, right? No, he didn't. That was nine years after the resurrection, by the way. Nine years after Jesus rose from the grave. When you read Galatians chapter 2, that's 18 years after the resurrection. Almost two decades. And Paul is explaining that in Antioch, Peter now, he's fellowshipping within the Jew or with the Gentiles, and it seems like he's learned his lesson. And then Paul says, then there were some false brethren who came down from James. They weren't really from James, but they said they were from James, and they were teaching, you're saved by trusting Jesus, but from also following the ceremony of the laws, being circumcised, following the customary dietary laws. And it says Peter separated himself from the Gentiles. And it says, Barnabas, he followed in with this hypocrisy. And, P and Paul said, I had to confront Peter to his face because he stood condemned because he was denying the gospel by his actions. So Peter did not have to look at anyone else to think God in his amazing mercy saves sinners. And so Peter is telling us in our passage today where our hopes to be found. Lost, helpless, rebellious sinners are ransomed, delivered, forgiven, changed forever because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews said. So I'll read the first couple uh, verses in our passage today. He, Jesus, was foreknown from the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter is saying that before the foundation of the world was laid in eternity past, God knew what sin was going to do to his creation. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin against him. He knew that in Adam, and I've heard Shane preach on this, who is our federal head, Adam was the representative of the whole human race. And so when Adam sinned, the world took on his guilt, and sin and corruption and death entered in to the human race. God said to Adam and Eve, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. When they ate it, spiritual death and separation from God entered into humanity. Physical death, we see, came quite a bit later. So what did spiritual death do to humanity? What did it do to our nature? Well, God created Adam to fellowship with him and to love him. But we see after the fall, humanity was now at enmity. It means it was at war with God. You can see that in Romans 8, if you think I'm just making that up. <clears throat> it did not want to be in his presence. It did not want to have God in his thoughts. That's Romans 1. And it was indifferent towards God. Indifference, if you didn't know, is just a form of hatred. So God created humanity to see his glory, to see his majesty, to see how excellent he is, to see the beauty of his holiness. And Satan and sin and spiritual death brought spiritual blindness into humanity. So now they did not see God's beauty. Instead, they saw some distorted, ugly, repulsive looking thing that was in its place. 
They didn't see God's beauty. Now they saw something that was hideous and worthless. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Kids, if you were blind, do you think you would know you're blind? Yeah. You know what the difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness is? In the Bible, if someone was physically blind, we have blind Bartimaeus, he knew he was blind, right? He, he's stumbling around, bumbling, he needs people to help him by that. He knew he was helpless, he knew he needed a hand. Spiritual blindness is the opposite. With spiritual blindness, you think you see 2020. You don't need help from anyone. And so, what sin did, sin made us spiritually blind, but it made us think, we don't need help. I, I don't have to be dependent on anyone. God created Adam and Eve to desire to submit to God's will and his wisdom and to see it for what it truly is, life. And through deception and through his lies, Satan turned Adam and Eve from life and in their state of spiritual death, they now saw God's will and his wisdom as foolishness. They wanted to be their own masters. They wanted to be their own self-sovereigns. They wanted to be independent. So what did God do with this creation of his now that had just spit in his face? They wanted nothing to do with him. They were running from him. Well, I heard Shane preach on this a couple weeks ago. What did God do with the angels when they sinned? You know what? It was justice. I don't know if anyone's ever heard R.C. Sproul talk on the holiness of God. He says, justice is you and I getting what we deserve, and mercy is us getting what we don't deserve. God owes no one mercy. Mercy cannot be demanded. Mercy has to be freely given. And God said to the angels when they sinned, there is no, you will get justice, no mercy. But God had an eternal plan for humanity. What a glorious plan. If you have your Bible here today, I encourage you to bring a Bible to church. Um, I think they have pew Bibles here. It's uh, Isaiah 46. God's eternal plan. Isaiah 46 and uh, 8 to 11. Remember this and stand firm. Call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. And then he goes on, he says, calling a bird from the east, which was the country of Assyria. So he says, I'm even going to be in charge, uh, in control of bringing in this enemy uh, um, army to discipline you, my people. The man of my counsel from a far country. Here's what I want us to focus on. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Some people, Christians, teach that God, He just knows the future, so He's looking into the future. Well, yeah, I believe God can see the future, but God is not simply a watcher of, of history. He is active in it. He is the governor of history. So, Peter is telling us that in eternity past, God the Father planned to send His Son Jesus into the world. The word foreknown also means for ordain it can't just mean foreseen just you know it's funny you read some things and it's, it's just almost funny right it's almost like god's looking into the future and he's like oh hey what's jesus doing there like ridiculous no he he planned to send his son into the world to save sinners jesus came in it's the first a uh, prince coming in to slay the dragon to get his princess, his bride. Right? And so we have the Father sending the Son. We have Jesus, the Son, willfully and joyfully going to, to uh, obey and to submit to his Father's will. To take upon our, our human flesh. 
And Jesus didn't like rent it like a tuxedo to, to get rid of it later. He's going to have our human nature, our flesh, for, forever. And then he suffered and he died as our substitute, as the sinless Lamb of God. He took our sins upon himself to rescue us. And the book of Daniel says all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. God does his will amongst the armies of earth and heaven. None can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's saying, my plan is going to stand. If I say something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, with that in mind, let's hear the words of the Lord Jesus. This is awesome. John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. Listen to Jesus' words. This is a promise. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. (laughs) How could Jesus say that though? We know his sacrifice that he put on Calvary of himself was so valuable that it could save 10 million worlds like ours. But the question that we should ask ourselves in light of what we've learned about what sinful fallen human nature is, is who's going to come to him? He says, whoever comes, I won't cast away. But then he says, all that the Father gives. And we see later in John chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It's a drawing of love. It's a gracious, loving, merciful drawing. Don't forget, because of sin, people are spiritually dead, their wills are blinded by Satan and sin, so they see no beauty in Jesus. They see no worth in Jesus. They do not see that Jesus is glorious and majestic. They do not see that in Jesus and his gospel is wisdom. But they see the very opposite. It's utter foolishness. But this is why Peter tells us in verse 21 that we're not to put our hope and our trust in ourselves. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And you know what Martin Luther said about that verse? He says that nothing isn't just a little something. It's nothing. And he says the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Our hope is to be in God alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now, as we read verses 22 and 23, I wrestled with this this week to the place where I thought I I just was going to quit. And then I thought, oh, that's what it is. I wasn't going to quit. Well, I was. My wife encouraged me not to. (laughs) True story. So when we look at verse 22 and 23... What I want us to do is we, you need to understand verse 22 is telling us this is things that has happened to us and things that we need to do. But verse 23, the word, if you have the English Standard Version, in verse 23, I'll just read it to you and then I'll explain. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since... So the only reason why you're ever going to be able to do anything in verse 22 is because now of what's going to happen in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. 
So God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, He is the one who gives us a new heart. He raises us spiritually from the dead, not because we ask for it. Now this is, this is where we might come in conflict with a lot of, of evangelicalism. But get this, not because we ask for it, because you never would. You don't ask for something that you think is totally worthless. And you don't ask for something that you think is utterly foolish. So God, in His sovereign mercy, because He knows we're not going to, we don't want Him. But He wants you. And so, He is the one who gives a new heart. Nicodemus comes he was a religious leader. He was like a pastor. He comes to Jesus at night and he says, good teacher. He says, we, we, we know. We and, me and the other Pharisees, we know that you're from God for the things that you do. And Jesus, boom, boom, just hammers, right? I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. Unless a man is born again, he will not see or enter the kingdom of heaven. The word see in the Greek means to understand. You won't even understand it. And you won't enter. Here's a man, if you said to him, do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? He would have said, yeah. But in John's epistle, he says, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. But he who confesses the Son has the Father and the Son. Nicodemus needed to understand that the man standing before him was God Almighty. And he did. He did come to, to, to see that. So, we, we have good weather for me to explain this. So kids, if, if your mom and dad, if you've ever heard this, you're, you're, like it's cold, it's not as cold as it's going to get, but you, you get into your car, it's minus 40 out, right? And you open the door and you're sitting there and you, you got a really nice sports car and she goes 200 miles an hour and it corners and it's got a high-end stereo, you know, it's got all this awesome stuff, right? But then you go to, Right? Now, your battery has no charge. What, what do you, what, what's the, the battery is dead, right? So now, if you boost the battery, you have this high-performance vehicle, but because the battery's dead, what can, what can the vehicle do? Nothing, right? It's, it's flesh, right? It's, it's nothing. It can do nothing. But then if you boost it, all of a sudden, right, and things get going the Lord has given us a, a picture in a sense of this, except God doesn't come with some impersonal force and give you a new heart. <laughs> no, it's, it's much more intimate than that. The Lord Himself brings us new life by entering our bodies and living in us. So how does the Holy Spirit regenerate and give God's elect new hearts? He does it through the Word. He does it through His Word preached. He does it through His Word read. Through almost, well, 28 years ago, when I was in a life of crime and wickedness, and I, I somehow I saw that the, my only hope was, I thought it was in this book. And I started reading through, and I read through the Gospels, and then I read through Acts, and I was reading someone else's mail. And then I read through Romans, and it was someone else's mail. And I can't remember exactly where, but when I got into 1 Corinthians, I was reading a letter to me. I was reading a love letter, and all of a sudden, I was realizing, this is personal. God loves me. God loves me. Isn't that awesome? God loves us. If you want to flip a couple pages to uh, the left in the book of James, this is how James says it. James 1, 17, 18. He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of His own will, God's, He brought us forth 
In the Greek, brought us forth is He begot us. He gave us spiritual life by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. God, in His mercy, speaks through His word. So, God is the author of His Word, and He is the one who now opens our spiritual eyes through His Word. And guess what happens when God opens your spiritual eyes? All of a sudden, even if it's just glimmers, little glimmers, you start to see the beauty of Christ. And you start to see His greatness. And you start to grasp that He's precious. And you begin to marvel at Him. And you begin to delight in him and he no longer seems foolish to you he shines out brilliantly as the wisdom and the glory of his father and then with these new hearts which are gifts of god we come to jesus we come to jesus and we trust him and this is why paul says for by grace you have been saved through faith Grace is unmerited favor. It's nothing you do. Grace you have been saved through faith. But that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. No one in this room who is trusting in Jesus. None of us will stand one day and say, I'm here because I... We'll be like Job. You, you will not be boasting of what you did in the presence of God. Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I give to no one else. God will not share His glory. And he, we should not want Him to. So after we've received our new hearts, verse 22 now says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. How do we purify our souls? First and foremost, we had our souls purified by our obedience to the truth, which is the gospel truth. By grace, we obeyed the gospel invitation and we've come to Jesus and He's washed us and He's purified us in His blood and He's made us white as snow and Jesus has separated us us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. And years ago, around 15 years ago, Benita's dad was dying of cancer. And he was coming into his last days. And I was laying with him in bed. And we were talking about this verse. It's Psalm 103.12. And he couldn't talk. So I said to him, Dad, do you ever wonder why it says that Jesus separated our sins as far as is east from west, but not north from south? And he couldn't talk, but he sort of shook his head. And I says, well, if you're on the North Pole and you start going down to the South Pole, when you hit the South Pole, which direction are you going if you keep going? You're heading back north again. But if you travel east, you never hit west. Right? Jesus is saying, or it is Jesus, but your sin, you're never going to meet your sin again. Ever again. I have separated forever and so the next day was the day that dad passed away and i i said dad i says remember just cling to jesus he's removed your sins and dad couldn't talk but he was he was laying in bed because when i said if you if you go east you'll never meet it and dad by with his finger twirled his finger he he knew he knew our sins have been imputed. They've been placed on Jesus. And He suffered and died to remove them. And then His perfect righteousness has been imputed. It's been put on our account if you're trusting here in Jesus today. And you know, you know what we love royal weddings? You look at it and there's just tens of thousands of people and millions of, if not more, people watch on TV. Is because... Imagine, if you're, a if you're one of the duchesses and you did have absolutely nothing, imagine you had these huge debts. What would happen the moment you got married? They're gone. And whatever's in the royal treasury, all the beautiful robes, they're yours. That's the gospel. Like there's just some, something deep in us that we even see these little pictures of it on earth and we're like, hey, that's awesome. You know, because it's pointing us to a greater picture. 
<clears throat> so, sometimes in reform camps, we make some mistakes. You're like, no. Yeah, we actually do. <clears throat> so, you know, we talk about total depravity. And you know, total depravity teaches not that we're as bad as we could be, but it says that sin has affected us in all of our parts. It affects our minds, it affects our emotions, it affects our wills, right? Dead. So we talk about that, and it's true. And then we talk about how the, our will is in bondage to sin, which is true. And then sometimes, and this happens sometimes if you're younger, guys. It happens if you're younger and you come into it. You get stuck in this mode a bit. And so then we act like that's how we're to define those who've come to Jesus, those who are born again, those who are forgiven and cleansed. If you're trusting Jesus here today, you're not totally depraved. You're not. So stop talking like you are. And your will is not in bondage to sin, so stop talking like it is. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are made new. We're new. The Lord is with us. The Lord is working in us. Now, we're not what we're going to be, but we're not what we once were either. So now, as Christians, our wills have been set free. The Holy Spirit has enabled us now to obey God. And so not, not for, we're not obeying God in order now to receive salvation, to receive favor, to receive acceptance. That's a done deal. Jesus did that for us. But we're doing it now because we love God. We're doing it out of a gratitude for God. And this is why Paul can say to the, to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do if his good pleasure. It's mysterious stuff. But just because it's above our pea brains doesn't mean that it isn't so. We just need to bow the knee and say, yes, Lord. And then work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing because God's, he's in it. <clears throat> so do you remember what Jesus' first miracle was? Say it if you remember. Yeah, turn, turn water to wine. So here we have these ceremonial washing pots. It was with the point to the Old Testament washings of cleansing of sin, right? And so Jesus, he turns those to wine. The message that he's telling us is, for one, the Old Testament's coming to the end. The ways of cleansing is coming to an end. But ultimate cleansing of sin is through my blood. And what is the next thing that Jesus does after the wedding? Do you remember in John 2? Goes into the temple and he starts cleansing it. Now you don't tell me that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, isn't giving us a message. He's showing if you're trusting Jesus and his blood has cleansed you, now the Holy Spirit is going to be in you and he's going to be cleansing the temple because you're the temple. Amen? Amen? And I'm not saying amen because it's over, because it's not over yet. But right, Galatians 5 tells us that the spirit and the flesh are striving, and the Lord is greater. He is going to be the victor. So I want to ask you guys a question. How often do you remind yourself that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, actually lives in you? That He knows your deepest secrets. That he lives in the midst of your most carefully hidden struggles. Go to him for wisdom. Go to him for guidance, for strength to battle against sin, to strive for holiness, as we heard from Matt last week. If you're here today and you're not trusting in Jesus, as your Lord and as your Savior, God through His Word calls you to come to Jesus. Come to Him. He is a gracious and merciful Savior. Trust in Him. Cast your cares upon Him. And when you come and after you've stepped through the door, you're going to realize the reason why I came is because He was drawing me with cords of loving kindness that well, long before I ever had a twinkling of a desire for Him, He loved me 
and he gave himself for me and he was seeking me. And that's why any of us are here who love Jesus. If you're here and you love Jesus and you're trusting him, it's because the Holy Spirit is living in you. He brought you to Jesus and who is the word of God. And now he's going to start giving you a desire for that word. I will be eternally grateful for a man whose name is Fred Kennett. Fred was a one-string banjo. Jesus is the Word. Got to be in the Word. Dale, you got to be in the Word. You have to be in the Word. You have to love Jesus. And again, it's not just being in the Word out of duty. Oh, here we go in the Word. If you love Jesus... If you really love someone, you want to be with them, right? You want to know them. So that's what God's saying. The Holy Spirit, if we're born again, we should have a desire for God's Word. And you know what? If you're here today and, and you don't have that desire, I encourage you, talk, talk to the elders of the church. Because we're going to hear in next week's sermon that there are things in our life, sins, things that we harbor in our life that will take away a hunger and a thirst for the Word. And we need, to, we need to deal with it. We need to talk to other people and pray and, and, and work through it. The Holy Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus, exalt Him in our hearts, make Him precious to us. But we're also going to want to read the Scriptures in order to obey God. And you know what? There's going to be times you're going to read the Bible and you're going to realize, I fall so short of this. But then you know what God calls us to do? We see how far I fall short. We see that how little strength that I have in me to do it. So then we cry out to God for strength. And I, this was years ago. But I was in Penticton on the beach with my wife and kids. And I, I was reading through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, Cost of Discipleship. Anyone read it? Awesome book, right? But Bonhoeffer, he, he has such an awesome example of this. He gives the example of Peter on the, in the boat on the, as Jesus is walking by, right? And Peter says to Jesus, If it's you, Lord, command me to come out in the water. Come on out. Peter gets out. Now tell me, kids, do you think Peter had the ability to walk on water in his own strength? No. It would have been impossible for him to do that. But where the commandment came, when the Jesus commands it, with the commandment, he gives the power to obey the command. We need to grasp that principle. And then Jesus says, ask, seek, pray, knock. And then in the Greek, the tense is, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And the Lord will answer our prayers and he will give us strength to do it. I am coming nearer to the end. Turn, turn with me. I'll just give you guys an example of this. Turn to Psalm 119. We'll quickly read through that. <laughs> just kidding. We'll, we'll read through uh, a few verses. Though. Psalm 119, verses 33 to 39. Around. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, like, how do you... Like, how would I pray? Like, I, I struggle with my prayer life. What are some of the things that I should pray? I'll just give you an encouragement here. So, verse 33. Just put this in your own language. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Give me. We're, this is what we're asking God. Give me understanding, Lord, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Just to give you an example. These are God teaches us things to help us in our prayer lives that we can be asking God, Lord, I see how how weak I am. May you be my strength. 
And so as we pray to God, the Holy Spirit is there actually helping us in our weakness. He's interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. This is Romans 8, 27 and 28. And years ago, I had an old pastor who used to tell us, he says, if you find yourself at a place where you're on your knees or you're sitting whatever, and you don't know how to pray, he says, isn't that an awesome start? Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, show me how I, what, are, what should I be praying for? And one of the things that Pastor McLeod would teach us is sometimes the reason why we struggle with our prayer life is we're always asking. God's just filled his word with his excellence. We should be praising him. And, and Aaron has been putting this on his Facebook, uh, wherever Aaron is. But just, uh, I thank God today for this. And I thank you, Lord, for my friends and family. And I thank you. Such honestly, it's a prayer building as we do those things, and we're coming now to an end. Peter encourages us as exiles that when the Holy Spirit has given us a new heart, we we trusted Jesus, we're no longer individuals, now we belong to God's family, we have the spirit of adoption, and we call God Abba Father, we're members of His family and as family members sometimes we live in a culture that family's very disjointed but god says you know what the family of god should be like it's like the human body we we need it's not like so do you want to give up your arm for a day no we're quite attached right like i i want my arm all right so we we need each other and but you know what the problem with that is is I tell people at the, the church in Grand Prairie, you know what's awesome about church? Jesus. And then it goes drastically downhill from there. Right? Because it's the rest of us, right? And it's, it's easy to love the, the idea of Mike, right? Or Mike to love the idea of Dale. And then you get to know me more, and it's just like, eh. no, that's harder, right? But that's where the gospel comes in. God didn't love us because we're so awesome. He loved us when we were unlovely, but His loving us makes us lovely. Right? So as we learn to love each other, warts and all, it's going to help us and it's going to cause us to grow. You know, it's neat when we look at people who immigrate from other countries here and so you'll see, let's say, uh, a couple people from the Philippines and they don't know each other and all of a sudden they come and they, they've got this common language. Right? And so all of a sudden it's like, oh! And they start talking and, oh, we've got these cultural similarities and we've got these memories. That's what it should be like for us as Christians. And it is. Right? If you've been to other places in the world, you talk to other Christians and all of a sudden, and usually it's if they know how to speak English, right? Then you, you start talking. And, so I, I was in Romania and I'm digging this church basement. I've got this 14-year-old Romanian next to me. His name is Sebastian. I'll never forget Sebastian because uh, he taught me how to play chess. So now, whenever I know to play chess, I think Sebastian. When I lose, of course. <laughs> right? So I, when I when I win, I, I just give myself all the credit. So we're we're digging this, and so Sebastian, I'd only been a Christian for a year, right? So we're digging this basement. And so Sebastian goes, "Do you know when we uh, when we go to heaven, we're all going to speak one language?" And so I I'm thinking that you know this young kid's going to be teaching me some new theological truth. So I was like, oh, really? He goes, yeah. I says, what language is that? And he goes, English. And I go, English? How come? He goes, because you English don't know how to speak anything else. <laughs> I was like, touche, Sebastian. <clears throat> Peter ends our passage with verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, falls, and the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter ends our passage today by encouraging us exiles, then and now, to continue to trust in King Jesus. What he has done for us on Calvary and his empty tomb, and what he continues to do in and through us by his spirit, cling to him, rest in him, fix your hope in him. And Peter encourages, do not let anything in the world, its wealth structures, 
what it defines as beauty, what it defines as successful, don't let anything in the world pull you away from Jesus. Why? Why? Notice the, when you compare a, a redwood tree or an oak tree to eternity, that that's just pales in comparison. But he doesn't use that. He uses grass. You mow the grass every week, hopefully. Our neighbor doesn't, but most... <laughs> anyhow, you guys don't know. <clears throat> but you mow your grass every week, and it's gone. Don't build your life on a blink. Right? We've got superpower nations. Rome, Babylon, Assyria, France, England superpowers in their day have, have influenced all these nations around them, gone. That's what the message that the Lord's telling us. The Word of the Lord stands. King Jesus will rule forever. Trust Him. Rest in Him. He is your hope. So I end really with this. When I, when I got saved, I, can remember, I can't remember who He was, but I remember His message. But he says, you know, when we go on vacation, he says, we, we pack accordingly, right? So if you're going somewhere hot, you're going to pack suntan lotion, sunglasses, bathing suit, right? You, the list goes on and on. If you're going to go somewhere cold, like give your head a shake. Like I, you, you live somewhere cold. But anyhow, if, you, if you're going to go somewhere cold, you take your ski outfit, you got your, you know what it is. You live in Alberta, right? You know how to pack cold. So then he ends it and he says, you know, the Bible says there's only two things you're going to take with you to glory. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Put God's Word in your heart. Trust it. Obey it. It will conform you. It will shape you. It will mold you. And then you will take it into eternity. And he says, and the Bible teaches that as you preach the Gospel to other people, when they trust in Jesus, they'll come with you too. Make sure you're well packed. So make sure you're well packed, City Chapel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that you are faithful and true. We thank you that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. Just thank you for him. Lord, pray that you would cause every heart in this room to delight in you and to marvel at you and to, to see you more clearly as you are. I just think of the, think of the Chronicles of Narnia when... Uh, Lucy came into the Narnia the second time and she, she thought that she saw that you were bigger and that you told her no, but that she had grown. Lord, as we grow, we will see you more and more for who you truly are, for the infinite greatness that you have. Lord, cause our hearts to grow in this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me come, City Chapel. Um, I'm instructed to ask you all,